In this episode, we talk about redesigning our classroom structure. I'm joined by Darcy Rogers, the founder of OWL, Organic World Language, who will talk us through ways to reimagine and redesign our language classrooms so that they are more student-centered and communicative. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I'm Joshua, and I am so thankful and excited that you are joining us today. Before we jump into this topic, I just want you to take a second, look down at your phone, and make sure that you have pressed follow or subscribe or whatever that app is doing to make sure that you get every single episode. So we are going to be talking today about this concept of redesigning your classroom structure. Now, this actually goes back a lot more than just that. So if you listened recently to the podcast episode that I did with Katya Hottenstein, it was episode five, we talked about when we started looking outside of the classroom box, like with our teaching. And Katya said, I remember when it was, Joshua. It was when you went to that OWL boot camp. What did OWL stand for? And I was like, oh, it was organic world language. And we went back in the classroom and we had learned so much about language teaching, but it was not student-centered. It wasn't about what students were actually going to do with the language and language that they wanted to learn. So we learned so much from that experience that I had. So based on that, I said right away, I have to have Darcy Rogers on because she is, and I'm going to say this, she's not saying it. So if anyone asks, it's Joshua who said it. She is the mastermind behind the world of OWL. See, we're on video right now and she's looking at me and she's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're saying that. But I can say it because I have experienced it along with other teachers and we're so thankful for the movement that she has started with that. So I'm just going to welcome you on in, Darcy Rogers. Thank you so much for being with us today. I am beyond excited to be here today. This is just, when you invited me, I got so excited. I was over the moon. I just remember being at boot camp together and just all the laughs and fun and joy and play and just how much you brought to that environment. And then to hear all the repercussions of it later and the previous interview, it's just, it all connects back to each other. It's just exciting. Yeah. So so Darcy started out as a Spanish teacher, a high school Spanish teacher for about 15 years. And I remember when she first told me the story of where the owl idea was born. And you can correct me a little bit on this if I get it wrong, Darcy. But she told me the story of being on a trip with her students. And she was thinking, they have learned all these verb tenses. They have learned all this vocabulary. Why are they not using it in this authentic sort of context and what is going on here and then she kind of went back to her classroom and said something needs to be done differently with teaching and so she in 2011 started creating this whole methodology of organic world language which for me 
it really represents student-centered teaching that equips them with language that is useful for them to communicate. And we'll hear lots of different things about it. But for me, that's essentially what it is. And isn't that what we want for all of our students? So Darcy, I I could talk about you forever, but we want to hear from you. And can you fill in the blanks a little bit about your OWL journey? And then we'll get into talking about the classroom structure. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. And you, you nailed it. Well done. Ooh, that was exactly pretty much how that went. I, you know, I've been teaching just a few years and I had been taught traditionally and, you know, I thought I was kind of this rebel teacher. I was trying to get away from the textbook and I was playing with the kids and I was kind of young and hip and I thought I was cool. You know? mm-hmm. And then I take the kids to this other country and they couldn't function. You know, they shut down. They were terrified. They were afraid to engage. And um, I came back and I was like, this isn't really what I want for them. I want mm-hmm. something different. And that really was the impetus to go about to explore. Really, the question was, what can my classroom look like? And our topic of redesign classroom structure is so perfect because that really was the journey. You know, how can I create a space where my kids are authentically engaging in content that they care about and something that's relevant, mm-hmm. right? And so I set about to really explore and research and just guinea pig my kids and see what that could look like. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What was some of that initial research that you looked into that helped you to sort of reframe your teaching? Yeah, the biggest pivot and the biggest aha was the actual proficiency levels. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually a movement going around in my valley or with that. Um, and they had started training us in the different actual levels. And so I got to be part of that. And that really was the pivotal point that changed that for me. Because proficiency is really about what students can do. And even though that was my belief, I didn't know how to do that. Right. And so I was still giving assessments where I was taking points off for what they were doing wrong. And proficiency really was that transformation that made it about what they can do and made it about a celebration. Like it's not an assessment. It's show me what you can do with the language. Let's talk. Um, Some other really important research was really the neuroscience research um, that showed that movement is the number one factor in retention. And so if you're getting kids moving, then that's how they're engaging. Right. And other research that really showed that even if they're given a grammatical concept, if they're they take that test, they pass the conjugation test, they speak, they're still going to say yo bailar, right? Like I to dance or whatever. So it's not the memorizing of the rules. It's the seeing the patterns and seeing language in real life. Um, And then the other piece was just that authenticity of realizing that language is connection. Language is conversation. The more that kids want to talk about things that are important, then the more they're going to engage. You know, and we think about real life, what are the conversations that we're having in real life? And the classroom doesn't really always reflect that. And so how can you create a classroom space that really reflects what they're going to experience on the corner market, talking to their grandma in another country, <laughs> you know? So that kinesthetic factor, mm-hmm. that movement factor that you were talking about that you looked into, did you find links to actual like language acquisition or was it more about the affective filter being lowered? Like, can you talk to us a little bit about that kinesthetic factor? Yeah, the biggest thing was more about the effective filter being lowered. Mm -hmm. And the original study that I saw was done in a math class. And so students had taken an assessment and they had had PE before and not PE before. And then they took that assessment. They did better, the students that had moved before. And so that was kind of the original influence of it was the fact that your retention is higher. And so that plays over into the language factor too and the language acquisition factor. And so really once my classroom began to change, right, we went from desks and rows to tables then groups, and that still felt, still felt prohibitive. And then we went to that circle structure. Then that's really where we saw the magic happen because there were no barriers. And so the students were allowed to just engage in the language and that movement factor with acquisition really came through. 
you know? And so when they're attaching an action to a word or to a vocabulary or to a functional chunk of language that they're communicating with and they have an action attached to it, they retain that so much more than just saying it or using it or translating it. So if we look at sort of the traditional structure of the classroom, kind of getting into mm-hmm. our, our topic of redesigning, there was the the traditional structure of any classroom, but we'll talk about the language classroom um, through sort of the 80s, 90s, well into the 2000s. Uh, what did that look like? And what were the obstacles that that presented. Absolutely. And I'll just speak to my experience and kind of what I've heard from other teachers as well is that I know when I was in that structure, it's the rows, right? You have a front and back of the classroom. The teacher is in front talking at the students. They're receptacles, right? They're receivers. And there's a hierarchy. There's a power structure there, right? And so those are some of the obstacles. The other ones are that they're in their little space. They're in their like cubicle, right? And so to get them to actually want to leave that space or engage is going to be that much harder because they have their little safe space right there, right? And so really the journey of that redesigned classroom structure was to change that hierarchy, create a space of equity and relationships and building relationships, right? And to take away those physical barriers that we have because when that physical barrier is there, that's one more thing the kids have to overcome to want to communicate. Right. And learning a second language, as we all know, is scary enough as it is. It's terrifying. Right. Like think about every single experience we've ever had learning a second language. It's frustrating. We cry. It's overwhelming. Right. And the more that we block kids into their space, the less willing they're going to be to take those risks. And so when you can eliminate those physical barriers. Then that's one less obstacle the kids have to overcome. And it facilitates authentic conversations and real life. Um, and the biggest thing I would say is that equity and relationship piece and just the value of taking the hierarchy of the teacher as the um, sage on the stage, right? And really making them part of it. So it's like the teacher is the facilitator. And when we're in the circle with the students, we're on the same plane, right? The students have the power. We're all sharing the power together. And so that's really powerful. And the other piece too is that I'm not the only teacher, right? It allows for students to engage with each other and they become teachers of each other, right? Like one, just one student even, I just heard this anecdote from a teacher where this teacher said, you know, a student said, you know, honestly, like I learned more from my fellow students, right? And that's what we want. You know, every single interaction, different kids remember different words and language. And when they talk to with different students, that language is going to come through. I'm sure you get this question a lot. When I do workshops, I always get this from teachers. It's, but the, it sounds like they're never going to learn their verb conjugations in this model. Uh, so like, Help us answer that question. Mm-hmm. Like, what what about that part of the traditional language teaching is addressed in this type of model? Yeah, and I love that question because really the verb conjugations, it's, it's language usage, right? And when you're in an environment where it's immersive and the students are hearing it and using it, they're actually going to acquire those patterns and those structures and those forms better because they're just memorizing it. It's disconnected. It's not related. It's it's disconnected, right? It doesn't connect to anything. But if they're in the classroom and the student over there, if I'm asking, oh, does she dance? You know, ella baila? Um, and they're hearing that over and over and over again, that pattern, they're going to start using it naturally just because of the exposure and the context, right? And so that's that research that we go back to of when students are exposed to that patterns, the patterns are what help us really see that language come out in real life. And so they're actually hearing and seeing that probably three to 10 times more than they would in a traditional worksheet or thing, and they're using it. And it's always contextualized. Exactly. It's 100%. never a decontextualized word. It's it's always in some sort of context and connected to 
a hole. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know my exactly. own my own experience doing the owl circles with my students is it's never a one word situation. Mm-hmm. They just immediately, even the new students that are in that group who are with a group that's been together for three years, you know, and as soon as they're in there, it's sort of, nope, you're going to hear other students make mistakes and it's going to be totally okay. And you're going to do what you do and you do you and your space and your time. And it's like, ah, I mean, you kind of physically I see just- that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I I love that you brought that up because I think that's the single most powerful component of that circle in that space is you really do kind of create this this magical element and space there together, right? And kids who weren't there or are new or whatever are immediately welcomed to the circle. And so there's that feeling of family, that feeling of acceptance, that feeling of belonging, right? And we're all here together and we're all on the same plane. And I don't know how many of you guys remember when we first started learning our second language. Right. We might have, you know, we're studying abroad or in a program, whatever, but we're with people that we may or may not have been friends with in real life, but we're all thrown together in this environment and immersive space. And we have to work together and strong bonds are formed when we do that. Right. And that's really what we're replicating in that classroom is those strong bonds of working together to figure it out and, and help each other communicate and use whatever we can to do that. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can look a little bit more specifically at sort of the, let's kind of separate the linguistic and the social emotional, which I know we shouldn't do. <laughs> They're kind of mm-hmm. one and the same. They're conflated. Uh, but the the owl structure, the the linguistic benefits of it, like if you needed to sort of just say, these are the linguistic benefits of this type of methodology. Mm-hmm. What Absolutely. Would you tell us? So I think the single most important thing is the actual levels and the fact that when you're in that structure, you are hearing and seeing everything the students are doing. So what I noticed from my own personal experiences when I was in the rows and the desk, there were so many barriers. I couldn't get to all the kids and they couldn't get to each other. And in that circle, there's no barriers. We're all there together. And so I can be in the middle listening, walking around, I'm hearing, I'm seeing, they're writing, we're talking, we're interacting, they're reading. It's all there together. And so they're hearing other kids. They're able to get up and move and interact with other kids better. Um, And so we're all linguistically in that same space together. And I can pull anything out, have that be my new thread, have that be my new hook and say, oh, this kid was talking about this. Or could you share what you just said? And then that incites a new, you know, a new hook or a new thread. Um, And the other piece to that too, is that with the proficiency, we can really see and hear what level they're at. And so a big piece of this is that we as teachers know and understand what those actual levels look like what they sound like, what they look like. I know in our department, we would norm um, that work together and we would look at student work. We'd listen to student samples and say, okay, what levels do we think there's evidence of here, right? And then that allows me as a teacher, one of the big pieces of OWLs, we have a structure called PATH. Um, It's all these different pieces of it. Um, But one of those is our prompts and questions. So we can level our prompts and questions better based on what we know of our students and what we're hearing in the moment. And we can differentiate more effectively, right? And so we're able to even have us have a classroom with the same level of students. That never happens, right? Like there's always several different levels. And so we can differentiate our prompts and questions to fit all those students and they can engage in a way that works for them at their level. So as we're we're listening at the the idea of like the chunks of language and mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm asking you the questions that I often get as when I when I use exactly. sort of, like when I do sort of owl like activities or I talk about them these are the questions I get from teachers and I'm like I have to ask Darcy I have to ask Darcy so I'm going to ask you them That's right now right so 
when it, it comes to sort of the chunks of language, people, the mindset is that sounds like novice level language. So this sounds like this will work really well in my Spanish one class, my French one class. But once they kind of get to that intermediate, low, intermediate, mid, how does this type of structure help with that? Or support that, I should I love say. that yeah. question. <laughs> yes, I love that question. I would say that's one of the biggest misconceptions mm-hmm. about OWL is that it is um, just mm-hmm. fun and games, which it 100% is, um, or it's just for the novice level. And one little known fact about OWL is that I actually started it in an upper mm-hmm. level classroom. So this actually began to get developed in those upper level classes, and then we adapted it down for the lower levels, which is kind of fun to think about or to know. Um, and so that comes back to the prompts and questions. And so once you're getting to those upper levels, you're still maintaining that, that structure, that circle structure, um, but you're looking at elevating the prompts. So instead of offering closed-ended prompts, you're offering open-ended prompts. You're asking them intermediate questions. You're pushing them into the advanced questions, right? And so it's kind of that EKG of pushing those students to the higher level. You're bringing in higher level authentic resources. You're matching their level of language with those authentic resources. You know, maybe you're reading short stories or we would read novels. Um, you know, so you're really being able to dig into content in a, in a rich way. Like I remember one um, thing we talked about was the idea of poverty, right? And what does that look like here in the States? What does that look like abroad? And they did some comparisons and they created, you know, the poverty cycle and talked about well, how do you break the poverty cycle? What does it look like? And these are, you know, upper level classes and we're having these conversations 100% in the target language. Um, and so it really is, I feel like even at the upper level, it's even more powerful because you bring in the social justice piece and you bring in the social emotional learning and you bring in those higher level prompts and you can really dig in with kids and it's powerful. So there's the, uh, with uh, owl teachers and a lot of times when I see the descriptions for workshops at different conferences, whether it's you or somebody else representing, I often see the words threads and progressions. Can you talk to us about what those words mean in the context of OWL? Yeah, great question. So that really refers to the idea that if there's something that could be pre-planned or something that comes up in the moment, like a hook that a student brings in, right? So let's say the student walks in with a cast, right? That's going to be my hook and that's going to allow for us to start a thread and progression that's going to progress for a while. And that could last 10 minutes. It could last two days. It could last a week. Right. But it's kind of would be maybe typically a unit or a concept that we weave in and we thread out. Um, and then that progression might lead into other injuries that kids have had. And have you guys have ever had a broken arm? What does that feel like? You guys have never had any injuries. What scars do you have? Um, right. So it, can, it leads into what these other thread and progressions might be pulled from that. So does the progression the thread, I understand it's more the theme, right? We mm-hmm. this is the the this is going to thread through our work. So progressions, is that talking about pushing them to higher proficiency levels in within that thread? Can you just unpack that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the progression would be more where the, that thread goes and that mm-hmm. content. That absolutely is another piece of it. Mm-hmm. While we're in that thread, right, we're really we're milking them or we're pushing them to that next mm-hmm. level. So they're going to really expand on that same level that they're at mm-hmm. and push them to give us more. Within that thread, there's the progression that might lead to that next thread. Right, right. And then within that is happening, that elevation mm-hmm. of prompts and questions. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this discussion, we're talking about the interpersonal, uh, Mm -hmm. the communication mode of interpersonal communication here. Uh, So how how do you work with interpretive communication presentation? So the writing and the listening and the reading Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. 
And this is another, I think, misconception of OWL as well is that it's only the speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's so many pieces to communication that are necessary, right? And they need all the pieces. And as reading and exposure and literacy is as much a part of acquisition as the speaking component is. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really woven in naturally and beautifully throughout the class. So the idea is that in every class period, they're integrating all pieces of it. So we're going to, instead of having a time where they sit and talk or they sit and write, it's just a natural progression of it. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about something, then read something about it. Then we're going to write about it. They're going to talk about mm-hmm. it. They might watch something or listen to something. Then we're going to write about that, then talk about it. So you as a teacher have that autonomy to create that that other thread and progression, but mm-hmm. in a different way, right, mm-hmm. of how you're interplaying those things. And the idea is to really have it be a natural flow of language and all components of language. Mm-hmm. And so it could be something that's an authentic resource. It could be something the student writes. Mm-hmm. You know, like they write something, they pass it to the right. The student reads it, poses a question, passes it back. Mm-hmm. Um, they're exchanging in groups and partners. So there's a really natural integration of, of all four of the elements. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the word uh, mis- misconception uh, that you <laughs> use. So I'm sure you hear that sort of thing. And I really appreciate this opportunity to clarify so much of this uh, because I do talk to a lot of teachers about OWL and I, I get these questions and I'm going to be like, you need to listen to the episode because you're going to hear it right from Darcy. Uh, so a- another question and like clear up these misconceptions. That's what we're here for. Totally. Break them all um, on. I love it. I love um, it. And then, you know, that's what redesigning this classroom space looks like. Uh, it's when it comes down to planning because it's organic. And like you said, so somebody walked in with a cast and that became the theme. So what does then planning look like mm-hmm. when it's organic world language? Yeah. And I think that depends on each teacher's level of comfortability and exposure to it. And so we talk about there's kind of a continuum, mm-hmm. right? You may not be the teacher that's going to jump in right away and get rid of your desk and do a circle, mm-hmm. right? Some teachers do that. Kudos to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and other, you know, you may be the teachers, you want your desk and you want that space and you're just going to try adding some movement. You're going to try some more target language, right? All of that is great and wonderful. So there's various levels of what this can look like for a teacher. And so as far as planning, that also range is the whole gambit, right? So um, we always say plan, but be open to outcome. And so there is a structure with OWL. We have several different pieces. We have the path. We have the 10, 15, 5. And we don't have time to go into all those today, but they are your structure pieces that will help you create a structure. You know, So for anyone who really is a planner and wants to have that, you can plan out your entire class period. You can plan out how you want to pair and group kids. You can pair, you know, plan out what your prompts are going to be. You can plan out what your movement pieces and transitions will be. Right. Um, you can plan out how you're going to structure your day. And at the very beginning, teachers will even have a, a clipboard or a notepad and literally be reading that off during class. Right. That's awesome. Right. Get in there, play with it, see what it feels like. And as they become more comfortable with it, they become less comfortable with the kinds of questions they're going to ask, with the kind of activities they're going to do. They know more pairings and groupings. Then the planning is so much less. And I hear from so many teachers who are like, this has freed up so much more time for me because I can walk into class and I have my plan and this happens and I know what to do with it. I know how to bring it in and talk about it and I can go back to my plan. So it's more about the the structuring of the class and having that structure mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and using that word structure within mm-hmm. an organic approach is huge, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, again, that would be a misconception, but it's supposed to be organic. You just talk about anything and do whatever activity. That's not the case at all. <laughs> exactly. And also there's guidance, right? Because mm-hmm. they could they talk about video games all day, right? That's mm-hmm. a great topic. And we can have a thousand different ways to talk about that. And I'm going to also guide that to other directions. Mm-hmm. So we can, you know, I can, I mean, 
being pulled over by a cop was a great example, mm-hmm. right? That was one story I came into class with and shared with them and that led into different directions, right? So we can organically plant a hook right, over a topic or a theme that we might want to dive into or connect it back to a previous theme. And so it can be organic and it can also still have structure. And so I love that you brought that up also as a misconception because often people think you just walk in and whatever happens, happens, you know, and there is, there is more to it and there is a structure and there is, and the neat thing too, is that regardless of what level you have, you can actually have the same structure for each class period and just adapt your theme and prompts Mm -hmm. to fit those classes. Mm -hmm. And so that can also help cut down on planning time, which is really awesome. So since you're beginning with this, going back to 2011, Uh, How has OWL methodology progressed and sort of morphed over the years based on your experience and where, where are you now with it and where are you bringing it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have to like give huge credit to everyone who helped make this possible at the very beginning. Um, There's a whole team of teachers that really made this possible. It never left the classroom, right? They were the ones who came in and said, what's happening in there? Let's talk about it. Um, we had a team of teachers who met every every week for two years to figure out what this is going to look like, right? Our two main questions were, how's this work for all teachers and how's this work for all students? And so those are the things that we dug in and tackled. And I always go back to those roots because it came off of curiosity, humbleness, inquiry, right? And that's really what I was based on, you know, it's very grassroots. It started in the garage, you know, the giant mm-hmm. whiteboard and you know, <laughs> digging mm-hmm. in and seeing what this could look like. The metaphorical garage, the whiteboard. I love that. Yeah. He literally did that. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, like a rock band, right? All good things start in garages. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so that's really how it started and it's progressed. And what I love about it is every single teacher that comes in and joins the community is just so open right? Adds a new idea, adds a new concept, adds a new piece. They bring a new question to the table, right? They go, man, this didn't work, but this did. Let's try this. And so Mm -hmm. we always call it failing forward, right? Mm -hmm. That you're going to get in. We're going to model making mistakes. We're going to model, you know, risk-taking. We're going to model all those pieces for our students. And we come together. And so I'd say that that's really a a through thread of OWL is that collaboration, that inquiry, that curiosity, right? That humbleness of asking each other, being willing to ask for help, um, and I think in ways that it's evolved is just a deeper understanding of proficiency and that really that value and that perspective of what students can do and that development of it being a celebration of language, um, that also relevancy and the authenticity of language, um, bringing in more of the social emotional learning and realizing that we as a teacher have to know what we bring to the table and be our authentic selves in the classroom. And if we can't be our authentic selves, then our students can't be their authentic selves. And so, um, you know, one of the things on there is Brene Brown, you know, doing that kind of work. So doing our own personal work and then also really, you know, bringing ourselves to the table in the classroom is huge. Also social justice um, that's always been there, um, but that's a new piece that we're really wanting to add in and focus on because it really ties into our core value of equity and relationships um, and making sure that all students feel valued and all students feel seen and heard. And along with that would be the trauma-based practices. We recently, um, several of us got certified in trauma-based practices. And we took those courses, we were blown away by how much of OWL is trauma-based in itself, right? We're validating students where they're being seen and heard. Their voice is part of the classroom. They are the ones directing the class, right? They're really guiding where the curriculum goes. And so I'd say those are some really new, powerful pieces that are, are coming in and just making it that much more whole and um, for the yeah, student. Yeah, it's, 
it allows for the, the very fact that it's organic. Like you did a great thing using that as your like the name of your methodology <laughs> because it's organic. We're changing with the times. But I don't know if this is the right word, but this is how I think of it. It's it's a very nimble approach. You know, it's that this is important, right? This is an important topic today. It wasn't an important topic mm-hmm. last week. Uh, you know, looking at things that happen in the world. And if you have a very, very strict curriculum, it's hard to find more than five minutes to honor Mm -hmm. situations that happen in the world. It's not devote Mm -hmm. or spend time on, but when Mm -hmm. it can actually be your thread (laughs) and then you can go through progressions Mm -hmm. with that because it, it happened today or it's happening to students. And so for me, it's that, I don't know, word nimble but that's kind of the way I think of it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and relevant Mm -hmm. right that's what it comes down to and I I think to another piece of that that's been another eye-opener for us is that those those kinds of um like current events and real world things are not reserved for upper level Mm -hmm. classes you can do things with your novice classes language is real it's real life it's relationships and also you adapt it to fit the levels it doesn't have to reserve just for colors or weeks or days of the you know days of the week or numbers, like that will happen throughout the year, right? Those aren't the units you're going to be doing. You want to be really bringing in authentic language and authentic topics that kids are going to care about and they're relevant for them, whether it's kindergarten or senior. So, and I think to tag onto that too, I think one fear for teachers is they think that they have to throw away their curriculum. And I would say that you don't start there, add in something to your already existing curriculum right? See where there's tie-ins into a current event or into something that could happen, right? Start there and then build from there. Another thing we talk about is recycling, right? There's the family unit. There's the weather unit. It doesn't have to be restricted to that. Weather, I mean, weather, language doesn't happen like that, right? We talk about different topics at different times and we combine them. So even recycling topics and matching up family and weather and friends and clothes and sports. And so finding ways to, if you need to start with your existing curriculum, ways to start to expand it and recycle it and bring in relevant elements when you can. So that kind of uh, segues into a really important question about any sort of methodology that's put out there is, mm-hmm. do you have to do it all in this? It's not very prescriptive way, but it is a little bit of a, it's a defined methodology. You have to do it this way for it to work, like all in, or can you find bits and pieces of it or chunks of it to integrate. Can you talk us through that a little bit? And I think as with anything, right, you take any pieces that you want to make it work, right? So maybe you're like, I want to incorporate more movement. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, I want to incorporate target language. I want to focus on seeing if I can bring in relevant content to students. I want to focus on paying more attention to the actual levels, right? There's so many different pieces that are really relevant. And four of our values are, you know, equity and relationships, proficiency, engagement, and empowered learning. So coming in with all of those pieces, um, obviously they don't have to go all the way in on anything. I think every teacher has the autonomy to do what they want to do with their classroom and the pieces that they want. So I would be curious to know where you continue to draw your inspiration from. Like where, who are you looking to? Who are those maybe influencers or conferences that you, you go back to your, your planning and your outlook and you're like, hmm, maybe I can look at this in a little way. Where is that coming from? So the continued inspiration, and this is just will sound cheesy, but it's so honest, is the teachers. 
right? So mm-hmm. every day, like I get a phone call from someone or an email or text and they're like, this changed my life, you know, <laughs> not only like my classroom, but my relationship or my, you know, how mm-hmm. I communicate with my friends or something. So the continued inspiration, even through COVID and through everything that was a challenge mm-hmm. is definitely the community and the teachers and mm-hmm. everyone who says, wow, I didn't know my classroom could feel like this. I didn't know that I could feel like this at the end of the day. I didn't mm-hmm. know that I could be this kind of teacher that mm-hmm. my students could do this for me. So I would say the continued inspiration is just, I'm still always surprised by it. You know, mm-hmm. every time I get mm-hmm. it, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. It worked, you know? Um, and so I'd say on that, that's the most important one and the most exciting one. And then from there, it really is those kind of new pieces, right? Looking at like reading Brene Brown or looking at, you know, um, what new stuff is coming out around proficiency, um, reading new books, reading all the social justice books right now, right? Like how to be an anti-racist and for me, unpacking that and making sure that I'm doing the work I need to do around that. Um, and so I'd say it's moving into some of those personal elements to work on. Um, as well as language pieces and staying up on, you know, continued research and second language acquisition. And um, yeah, and I think too, it's been neat to go beyond the world language environment and see what else is out there, right? Like Carolyn Tomlinson with differentiation, for example, or looking at what other fields are doing around engagement and empowered learning and seeing where all these different pieces can come together. So do you think there are opportunities to move beyond the world language classroom with this methodology? Yeah, so it's already happening. Mm-hmm. Over the last probably three to four years, we've already been um, working with teachers in other subjects, and we've had a couple pilot programs in schools in both science and math um, and language arts. And what we're seeing is that those four, you know, our four pillars go beyond the world language classroom, right? It started there, um, but really any classroom you think about it, math or science classroom, right? Students are terrified. They are afraid of the lang- they're, they're of that language, right? Of that math or that science. And so our core, you know, kind of student goals of um, fearlessness, taking risks really applies to every single subject. And so um, that's been really exciting to see that it it goes anywhere. You're going to think this is sound. This sounds really cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. So you're one of those people. It, it really inspires me. And to I know that you are incredibly devoted and convinced of the work and the outcome and the value of what you do. Yet, at the same time, you will say, a teacher told me it worked really well. And I was like, oh, really? Because you stay so humble about it. <laughs> and it's like you yeah. you, you had no doubt it was going to work. But it's the fact that you continue to be, I think, happy and proud for those teachers more than anything. And that sort of comes out in the, oh, I did that. <laughs> you know, so that's something I've always really appreciated about Thank your you. approach. Uh, like on a personal level, really. Uh, Thank you. So now I would like to uh, pull the teacher curtain back a little bit and get to know, yeah, Darcy, Let's the person a little more, um, which <laughs> I've had the per- the privilege of knowing you now for 10 years or so. But there are some things that we, we're going to play a little game called This or That. And you just choose one or the other. Okay. If you absolutely have to, you could choose both, but try not to. Because, uh, mm. you know, sometimes when you have to really choose one, it gives some more insight. Okay, ready? Here's the first one. I love one. it. Oof. All right. More rural or more urban for you? Oh, dang. That's interesting because I moved from rural <laughs> to urban. So I'm literally going through that right now. Um, I think at my core, it's probably more rural. Oh, okay. Um, I was, you know, raised in, in Oregon and, and there and I moved to more urban. Mm-hmm. So now in Southern California, um, I appreciate the urban. I love the energy. I love the 
the vibrancy and how much there's to do. And I am such a nature girl at heart. Like, give me a river, a lake, a mountain, a tree. Uh-huh. So, yep. So then that kind of goes into my next this or that here. It's vacation uh-huh. time. Are you going to go to a place where you can relax or where you're going to be really active? <laughs> this is a really funny one. <laughs> because I've gone on trips where people who wanted to relax, I made them go do activities with me. <laughs> so I definitely tend to go for the adventurous mm-hmm. side. Um, put me in a helicopter. I'll jump out of a plane. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, four wheelers, you know, the kayak, the whatever. So I tend to go more adventurous. Yeah. I can appreciate more now the relaxing after COVID has forced me mm-hmm. to stay mm-hmm. home. Um, so I can appreciate a relaxing trip, but I tend to definitely go more for the, the, we do a name game and my name generally tends to be Daring Darcy because uh-huh, uh-huh. I always want that, you know, I have a, I have a motorcycle yeah, and I want to, yeah. I like that risk. Mm-hmm. So I always remember at our very first Owl Boot Camp in the circle where we had to make up a movement and a sound for our name, you were Darcy vroom vroom on the motorcycle. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> See, it sticks. What was yours? Uh, just, was yours? just Josh and your Joshua. Oh, that's, that's right. I remember that. Just Josh and your Joshua. There are people, I still do workshops now five eight years later and they will remember the name of someone else from a workshop yeah. remember pop and patty pop and patty yep mm-hmm. mighty heidi yeah all of them <laughs> I re- yeah i totally remember all of their nicknames okay last yeah. this or that a song comes on it's kind of a song that you like do you know the words or are you faking it no idea i will get wrong every lyric till the end of time so <laughs> I think I know the words. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. But like my sister and I, like well, there's times when we're singing in the car with our pen as our microphone, right? <laughs> and then we'll I literally text each other and be like, those aren't the lyrics. Uh-huh. That's not how it went. So, Is there a, yeah. a genre of music that you are prone to? Honestly, it's anything in Spanish. No, okay. So like pop, rock. So I am absolutely positive that there are listeners out there who would like to connect with you, learn more about Darcy and more about the owl adventure. So what's the best way to connect with you and learn more about that? Yeah. So we're on all the social media. Mm -hmm. So you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's at Owl Language. Mm Um, O-W-L-A-N-G-U-A-G-E. Mm-hmm. I thought I was clever with that. Um, <laughs> or Organic World Language on Facebook. We also have a Facebook Owl Collaborative. Mm-hmm. And so you can go on there and ask to be invited. Um, it's a very open, inclusive community, just sharing ideas mm-hmm. and, and swapping things. Um, my personal email is Darcy at OrganicWorldLanguage.com. Mm-hmm. So you can reach me there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And what's the, the what's the Owl website? Oh, yeah. Um OwlLanguage.com. Okay, everything's type in Owl organic, language. Owl language, yeah. <laughs> or if you type in organic world language, then it comes up. So, yeah. yep. So as yep, yep. we as we sign off here, could you leave us with one really good, hearty piece of advice for teachers that are looking to redesign their classroom to be more communicative? Mm-hmm. I mean, the the very first thing I always say, and I share with people, is be yourself, be authentic. Um, really go in and get to know your students, mm-hmm. listen to them authentically, honestly, listen, they all have something to contribute. Um, kind of set ourselves aside mm-hmm. and see what students have to say. Mm-hmm. What do they think about things, right? Any topic or theme or unit, why are the kids going to care about it? How do we connect to them? 
um, and begin to just play with the space. How can you add in more movement? How can you add in more target language? Right? How do you get kids? How can you play with your, you know, move chairs out of the way and see what it feels like? Try some circles, try some double circles, try rows, you know, kids moving, um, but really start to play with the space and see what it feels like and see what you notice with your students. Okay. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate, as always, spending time with you. And I've really enjoyed this opportunity to introduce you to a world of teachers that maybe have heard of OWL and wanted to know more. And now they're able to put a voice to the name and know about it. And I really appreciate spending this time with you and for everything you've shared with us today. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. I'm so excited to, to get to know a whole new group of teachers and see what the questions are. And I love that you post questions that teachers actually come with because that's real. And so I'm just getting to meet you all and see what's happening in your classrooms and learn from you and see what you have to teach me. So thank you for this opportunity. It's awesome. And, and I just get so inspired by the work that you do. And it's just so fun to get to do this. So thank you. So many incredibly actionable insights. Like Darcy Rogers says, pick one area and start there. The community conversation circle has been most effective for me in my own classroom. Be sure to check out the show notes so you can connect with Darcy. You'll also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.